You're listening to Shakespeare's Sonnets Exposed, Episode 21, Sonnet 20. What if I say I'm not, not like, like the others? others? What if I say I'm not just another one in your place? You're the pretender. What if I say I will never surrender? It took some time, but I'm pleased to announce that I have migrated this podcast from SoundCloud to Podcast Garden, and the new platform is far superior. It's been 20 whole episodes since the introduction, so I feel that now might be a good time to quickly revisit the sonnet sequence's framing of Narcissus and Echo. In Golding's translation of Ovid's story of Narcissus and Echo, Narcissus is a beautiful boy who captures the hearts of men and women alike. Echo is a nymph who can only repeat others' words. Echo falls in love with Narcissus, and while repeating his words in order to get closer to him, she falls under the spell of her own trick, and believes that Narcissus has invited her to join with him. In terms of how the sonnets operate, Shakespeare is Narcissus, and the sonnets are his words and reflections. The reader, Echo, repeats Shakespeare's words, allowing Shakespeare to live and breathe through the reader's imagination and vocalization, and hopefully leaves the reader spellbound and convinced that the love in the sequence is intended for them. Once again, I'd like to thank my patrons for their contributions, and as importantly, for showing faith in a project I've been obsessed with and possessed by for years. If you haven't already, then please sign up to support the graphic novel adaptation at www.patreon.com slash fisherking. Every dollar helps breed a page that brings us closer to a beautiful graphic novel that will help make the sonnets so much more accessible. And of course, 10 times that dollar will bring you the finished product 10 times faster. Right, let's analyze Sonnet 20. I will introduce Sonnet 20 with a quote from Arthur Golding's translation of Ovid's Metamorphosis. You can find this quote on page 73 of Shakespeare's Ovid, to which there is a link in the description. The following lines describe Narcissus's first contact with his own reflection. His ardent eyes, which like two stars, full bright and shining be, and each his fingers, fingers such as Bacchus might beseem and hair that one might worthily Apollo's hair it deem, his beardless chin and ivory neck, and each the perfect grace, of white and red indifferently bepainted in his face. All these wondereth to behold, for which, as I do gather, himself was to be wondered at, or to be pitied rather. He is enamoured of himself for want of taking heed, and where he likes another thing, he likes himself indeed. He is the party whom he woos, and suitor that doth woo. He is the flame that sets on fire, and thing that burneth too. While exploring Golding's metamorphosis for references from Sonnet 20's second quatrain, I discovered the original story of Pyramus and Thisbe, and, I'm ashamed to admit, it was for the very first time. Not only is the tragedy of Pyramus and Thisbe the basis for the story of Romeo and Juliet, and not only is it so callously ruined by the mechanicals in A Midsummer Night's Dream, but it might also be serving as an underlying theme for Shakespeare's sonnets, with Shakespeare in the role of Pyramus, the reader in the role of Thisbe, and the sonnet serving as the hole in the wall between them that allows the two to communicate their love. Additionally, 
the master mistress of the first quatrain might be a reference to the story of Hermaphroditus, in which a naiad falls in love with a godlike youth and forces him to merge with her in a sexless union. Now that we finally set the stage, we can begin. A woman's face with nature's own hand painted, hast thou the master mistress of my passion? A woman's gentle heart, but not acquainted, with shifting change as is false woman's fashion. This sonnet returns to the pattern of addressing all three members of the sonnet trinity, Shakespeare himself, his sonnet reflection, and the reader. Shakespeare is using black ink to paint both his sonnet reflection and a picture of the imagined reader, and the sonnets are addressing both Shakespeare and the reader. Additionally, if we read the sonnet out loud to the sonnet, it presents some other interesting possibilities. The first line of the first quatrain can be read both as a woman's face painted as a man's and a man's face painted as a woman's. The sonnets are reflections of Shakespeare, who is the narcissist in the sonnet narrative, but they are written primarily for the female reader or echo. The sonnet caught in the middle of this communication plays both man to their reader and woman to their creator. Painting something black at the time Shakespeare wrote the sonnets, implied to represent it as wicked or evil. As the theme of representation with black ink is a major theme running through the sonnets, I consider it highly probable that Shakespeare thought of his efforts to invest the sonnets with his soul as black magic. The word master has a rich and varied history, and the meanings that are relevant and which were available at the time the sonnets were written are as follows. A man having control or authority, owner of a living creature, a dominant woman, a young gentleman, or a boy of better class but too young to be called Mr. Shakespeare is the master of his sonnets in the sense of his authority as creator and, relating to the established husbandry theme, owning the sonnets as living creatures. The female reader is a dominant woman in that she brings the sonnets to life or returns them to the eternal darkness whenever she opens or closes the book. And the sonnets are Shakespeare's little sons, too young for the title Mr., but certainly of high enough class for the title Master. Mistress, in the 16th century, had a few mostly positive meanings, but in my opinion here primarily serves to clarify the irrelevance of gendering the addressee. Passion recalls the word rage from sonnet 17, tempered by temperate in sonnet 18, and invokes both the passion of a poet writing passionately and Shakespeare's grief and frustration over the loss of his son Hamnet. In the phrase, a woman's gentle heart, gentle meant mild, tender, and noble. We can read the word heart both metaphorically and as a stag or male red deer. This second meaning might be a reference to Narcissus's hunting or to the husbandry theme. Whether that's valid or not, we can safely stick to reading this as a metaphorical heart, meaning the soul or emotional muscle. Shifting change is a tautology, here reinforcing the idea that the sonnets are static, frozen in time, eternally constant and faithful. Fashion did mean prevailing custom, mode of dress and adornment prevailing in a place and time, but also physical makeup or composition, form, shape, and appearance, and in Old French had the additional meanings of face, pattern, design, thing done, beauty, manner, and characteristic feature. 
The sonnets are fashioned by Shakespeare's passion, imagination, ink, and quill. Women in Old English referred to both sexes, and living people's appearances and natures are subject to change as they grow older and wiser. Assuming that Shakespeare intended a pun on the word acquainted to mean having a vagina, but not acquainted then ties into prick thee out in the closing couplet of the sonnet. That's a lot of detail for one quatrain, so I'll take a moment to summarize these readings. For Shakespeare, the sonnet, whether imagined as male or female, was written as a receptacle for his self-love and as a vehicle for carrying his love to the reader, with a tender, gentle heart, but constant and unshifting. For the sonnet, Shakespeare is the master and the reader is the mistress. Both are addressed in the second person. Shakespeare has a gentle heart. He has a woman's spirit with a man's temperament. And in spending two decades infusing his legacy into the sonnet sequence, he most certainly demonstrates that he is faithful, dedicated, and unwavering. The reader, on the other hand, is the ungendered master mistress, whose decision to read or continue reading the sonnet sequence determines whether Shakespeare's spirit sees the light of day or remains trapped in the eternal darkness of the closed book. Regardless of whether the reader is subject to whims, as long as they are reading the sonnets, they are worthy of all praise. In this case, probably as a form of flattery. An eye more bright than theirs, less false in rolling, gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. A man in hue, all hues in his controlling, which steals men's eyes, and women's souls amazeth. The straightforward reading of the word rolling in context of an eye, understood both then and today as being done in exasperation, annoyance, disbelief, or impatience, is accompanied by its evocation of the sound of rolling thunder, tying into the musical theme, and probably was a hint to the sonnet being written on a rolled-up piece of parchment or paper. It is also a very rare word in Golding's translation of Ovid's Metamorphosis, and there are a few expressions in Sonnet 20 that lead me to suspect that this quatrain is referencing the story of Atalanta from Book 10, wherein Hippomenes wins his race with her and her love by tricking her with golden apples. The word hue, due in part to its suspicious spelling in the original quarto text, sent me on a surprisingly long and fruitful investigation. To hue in the original spelling meant to cut evenly and stick to a course, the former recalling the lines of text being cut into the sonnet page and the latter recalling the sailing and navigation theme. In its modernized spelling, and here we must recall that although the sonnets are written art, they are intended to be spoken aloud, hue meant outcry or noise from Old French, which became outcry calling for pursuit of a felon and, by Shakespeare's day, had evolved into cry of alarm. Prior to the 17th century, when the word color became the dominant meaning of the word hue, it still evoked color, form, appearance, species, kind, and beauty, and it is used in the Metamorphosis translation to describe Narcissus's cheeks that had been white and red before he was torn apart by grief. Having said all that, from the sonnet point of view, the second quatrain describes Shakespeare making his work more golden and valuable the longer he looked at it. Shakespeare became a man, in appearance to the reader, composed of all the appearances or sonnets under his control, and the sonnets would capture the hearts and imaginations of male and female readers alike. The reader, from the other side of the looking glass, is praised as having a bright and faithful eye, 
as investing the sonnet with value by reading it. In this case, the man in hue would be the object being gazed at, and so the meaning of the last two lines would not change. And for a woman wert thou first created, till nature, as she wrought thee, fell a-doting, and by addition me of thee defeated, by adding one thing to my purpose nothing. Addition meant increase and augmentation in Old French. Defeated meant to bring ruination or cause destruction and to frustrate or prevent the success of. We can read this quatrain as saying that Shakespeare initially created this sonnet for women's eyes, but then fell in love with it himself. By adding self-love to me of thee, this sonnet of Shakespeare, the sequence's original purpose has been compromised. We can also read it from the sonnet's perspective addressing Shakespeare, suggesting that Shakespeare was originally created for a woman until nature interfered with that purpose, possibly by bringing about the death of Hamnet. If that's a valid hypothesis, then each sonnet would be an addition that steers Shakespeare further off course from his original, naturally intended purpose. But since she pricked thee out for women's pleasure, mine be thy love, and thy love's use their treasure. Sonnet 20 is a play on Narcissus declaring his love for his reflection, which visually reflects and responds to his love even though it cannot act or speak independently. The same could be said for Hermaphroditus, to whom the naiad attached herself in spite of the fact that he was innocently going about his business and trying to enjoy a swim. In similar fashion, the sonnet reflects Shakespeare's love, useless to him sexually and yet totally true and full of passion. I'd like to take a moment to play a game of what if. What if this sonnet was addressed to Hamnet? What if Shakespeare was exaggerating Hamnet's qualities to align them with an idealized, kinder version of Narcissus? Hamnet was certainly the master mistress of Shakespeare's desperate passion to preserve his legacy in the sonnet sequence. What if the thee of me of thee refers to Hamnet, with Shakespeare's legacy frustrated by his addition to Shakespeare's lineage and then tragic death? Regardless, the sonnets are geared, or pricked out, to give pleasure to women, whom Shakespeare presumes will be the readers of the sonnets. The poem attached to the sonnet sequence, A Lover's Complaint, informs us of Shakespeare's predicted outcome for his sonnets. As long as women read these sonnets as the intended addressees, the love carried by the sonnet will be revived both for Shakespeare and the sonnets, and their love's use, the reading of the sonnets, will become the reader's treasure. While the sonnets have been recognized and adored by scholars and fans the world over, they haven't enjoyed the same kind of mass appeal as his plays, and Shakespeare's intention for his works was always to appeal to a broad cross-section of society. It is my aim to rescue the sonnets from obscurity, from the darkness, and to that end I am producing a graphic novel adaptation, recording this podcast, converting these podcast episodes into a book, and tattooing 154 images representing the sonnets onto my body. Once again, I need your help to make this happen. Please consider signing up to support this project at www.patreon.com slash fisherking. Keep up with the graphic novel progress at sonnetcomics.com and join our community discussions on Reddit at slash r slash sonnetcomics with an X. Thanks for listening. What if I say I'm not, not like the others? others.